Hello, everyone, and welcome to Savvy Psychologist. I'm Dr. Ellen Hendrickson, and every week I'll help you meet life's challenges with evidence based research, a sympathetic ear, and zero judgment. We all roll our eyes at happiness cliches like live, laugh, love, or if life gives you lemons, make lemonade, or dance like nobody's watching. Now, even if there is some truth in inspirational sayings, anything you've ever seen crocheted on a pillow or framed on Michael Scott's wall is automatically suspect. So, this week, to celebrate the 200th episode of Savvy Psychologist, we'll look at the science behind five classic pieces of happiness advice and find new, fresh ways to put them into action. In other words, when you change the way you look at a thing, the thing you look at changes. Hey, wouldn't that look good on a pillow? All right, let's get into it with classic happiness tip number one. Don't worry, be happy. Okay, what it should really say is, it's okay to feel life's ups and downs. Now, the happiness and positive psychology movements, while revolutionary, have had one major negative side effect, an expectation that we are happy all the time. Over the last few years, I've seen an upsurge in young adults who come to therapy mistaking the downs and struggle of everyday life as a sign of something gone seriously wrong. They worry it's not okay to feel sad after a breakup unsure during a big transition, or that feeling anything less than happy, motivated, and radiating confidence isn't good enough. Therefore, instead of don't worry, be happy, let's update the saying to include normal emotional variation. Indeed, it's okay to feel incompetent, especially when we're pushing ourselves to learn something new. It's totally normal to feel anxious when we don't have a ton of experience doing something. And it's important to occasionally feel bored. The best ideas are born when our minds aren't otherwise occupied with Netflix, YouTube, or even, dare I say, podcasts. Okay, let's take it even further. If we're willing to front load feeling lousy, we can set ourselves up for true happiness. What do I mean? Well, a 2018 study found that the activities that make us happiest, those that allow us to enter a flow state, are often inconvenient and suck up a lot of bandwidth. And indeed, it is a hassle to work up the energy to dive into an intense, focused activity like making art, training for a sport, or writing a story. It can be daunting to work on a stand-up comedy act, open an Etsy shop, or sit down at the piano to master that tricky section of Rhapsody in Blue. But flow, and many other activities that make us happy, require an investment of energy and hassle at the get-go. Therefore, think of negative emotion as an investment. You don't have to throw out your Hakuna Matata mug, but see the ups and downs of daily life as part of a normal, healthy rhythm. Okay, classic happiness tip number two is the purpose of life is a life of purpose. All right, and what this really means is find your purpose to fight stress and take care of yourself. About a gazillion studies, as well as common sense, have concluded that having a purpose increases both quality and quantity of life. 
Okay, so what exactly is purpose? Well, like jazz or porn, we know it when we see it. But for our purposes, haha, we will define it as feeling directed and motivated by goals and values. Okay, why is this so important? Well, there are a couple of theories. One is that having a purpose may prompt us to take better care of ourselves. Taking care of yourself implies that you and what you're doing with your life are worth taking care of. Beyond that, it's thought that purpose shields us from the weathering effects of stress. For example, one study found that when students reported their lives weren't meaningful, the hassles of everyday life were coupled with symptoms of depression. But when students reported higher meaning and purpose, the link between daily hassles and depression weakened. The conclusion? Purpose buffers us from stress. Okay, regardless of how exactly it works, we do know that purpose is directly linked to happiness. A huge study of nearly 100,000 people across 94 countries found that people who believe their lives have meaning or purpose, regardless of how they feel about their income, are happier with their life. Okay, classic happiness tip number three is discipline is the bridge between goals and accomplishment. All right, and what this really should say is organize your life so you don't have to exert discipline. Okay, discipline, better known as self-control, is a topic right now hotter than a jalapeno with a fever. Self-control, defined as resisting temptation in the moment, is important. It is hard to be happy when we get sidetracked by every shiny object in our field of vision. However, there is much disagreement about the nature of self-control. Some say it's a finite resource to be conserved, while others say it's more like a muscle, strengthening the more we use it. But as of a hot-off-the-presses study, the thinking about this has evolved. This study by two Canadian researchers followed 159 college students and found that resisting temptation actually had nothing to do with success. Instead, simply experiencing temptation, whether or not they resisted, left the students feeling depleted and less likely to reach their goals. It wasn't about self-control at all. It was more about how they organized their environment. Okay, so how to apply this? Well, enter the counterintuitive practice of, quote, effortless self-control. Here's what that means. So organize your work and life to minimize temptation. Use an app to keep you offline while you're working. Put your phone in a drawer while you do your homework. If you want to stick to your diet, don't go to McDonald's and try to piece together a healthy meal. Just go somewhere where the entire menu is healthy. It's way easier to avoid temptation altogether than to try to resist it. And that frees up energy we can use to be our best. Okay, so now back to classic tip number four. Do one thing every day that scares you. All right, and what this really means is avoid avoidance. Avoidance feeds pretty much every mental health challenge there is. Avoiding the things that make us feel nervous, incompetent, awkward, or dumb keep us safely in our comfort zone, but also keep us from learning that we're more capable than we ever imagined and that the world isn't as dangerous or unfriendly as we thought. All in all, 
This ties right back to that first truism we talked about. It's okay to feel life's ups and downs. So no matter how you phrase it, do one thing every day that scares you, get out of your comfort zone, or just do it. Follow the advice and avoid avoidance. And finally, classic tip number five, live every day as if it were your last. What this really means is imagine time is scarce. So advice on seizing the day spans the centuries from carpe diem to gather ye rosebuds while ye may to YOLO. Okay, but how to actually do this? Well, think of time as finite. This is one place an abundance mindset actually backfires. So counterintuitively, to increase happiness, aim for scarcity. For example, one study randomly assigned college seniors in their last semester to write about their college experience for 10 minutes. One half was prompted by the phrase, keep in mind that you only have a short amount of time left, about 1,200 hours. The other half was prompted by the phrase, keep in mind that you have a significant amount of time left, about one-tenth of a year. Then, over the next two weeks, the researchers followed up multiple times, always asking how often the students had spent time with friends, hung out in the quad, went to a favorite campus restaurant or bar, took a scenic route around campus, or otherwise took part in college-related fun or nostalgia. And it turns out, those in the Time is Scarce group did more of the activities and reported being happier than the Time is Plentiful group. Better yet, a Time is Scarce mindset doesn't just work for college kids. A 2018 study randomly assigned people either to pretend it was their last month in their current city or to live as they usually did. And the result? Those in the pretending to move in a month group reported doing more and feeling greater connectedness and well-being. Turns out simply imagining we have to seize the month makes us, what else, seize the day. I want to end this episode with a thank you. Whether this is your first episode or you've listened to all 200, I say thank you from the bottom of my heart. You are amazing, caring, and thoughtful, and I am honored that you take the time to listen to the show. You are the reason the show has come this far. Next week, we'll continue last week's two-part series and bust myths about extroverts. As always, The Savvy Psychologist is strictly for informational purposes and doesn't substitute for mental health care from a licensed professional. Have a beautiful week, and I will see you here next Friday for a happier, healthier mind.